Uh, there's, there's more than one. I heard a guy the other day was talking to a preacher. He called him Stan. So, but thanks for that. There is only one Pastor Stevie. Stevie Nicks. We had to go there, didn't you? Amen. Well, good morning, church. I'm so glad you're here today. You ready for a short sermon? <laughs> I hope you say no, because no. Um, I'm glad you're here again. Uh, challenge number five, if you're brand new with us, we've been going through this series called Changed by the Challenges. Um, and it's basically, we looked at like five things that normal people deal with. And last week we talked about what? Do you remember what I preached on? Feel sorry for yourself. You get a free cup right there, brother. <laughs> this is your cup. It's, it's, you, you don't have a kid right there, right? Okay, well, trust your hands, bro. Trust your hands. <laughs> Can you imagine just a Sunday the pastor said, hit the baby in the head with a coffee cup? And I'd be like, I'd be like, yesterday his dad, or the daddy didn't catch the cup. I was, all right, I'm going to play the victim here. But I'm glad you're here. It's a great day. Let's get into this. Uh, uh, fighting the victim mentality. That's the title of today's message today. Um, you know, we're all victims of something at some point in our life. Most every day something happens that we would rather not happen. The question is how we deal with it. And so uh, piggybacking off last week's message titled My Sorry Self, uh, this really could be like the daughter of, of feeling sorry for yourself is the victim mentality. What is feeling sorry for yourself? It is always blaming things that maybe you could or could not control as to why you are the way you are. Have you ever had somebody say, well, that's just the way I am? And I'm like, well, the way you are needs to change. Like, you ever use that, that phrase on your spouse? Well, it's just the way I am. Well, who you are needs to change. And it's my job to tell you that because if your spouse tells you that, you get mad. And then you play the victim. And then you pout for the rest of the day. I know y'all, right? And I know human nature. Continually feeling sorry for yourself gives birth to the victim mentality. That's really what it does. And so we want to fight that today. Playing the victim will take your life in the opposite direction of where you want to go. Now, we will all feel like the victim, but when we play the victim, it becomes part of our personality. And we all know what that looks like. What does the, the victim mentality look like? Well, if you're not on social media, you may not know. Because <laughs> we always see it on Facebook and Instagram, right? What does a victim mentality look like? Well, here's my definition. It doesn't take long to see in others, okay? Negative attitude, they focus on what's wrong instead of what's right, always looking for sympathy, or someone or something to blame their life on as to why their life is turning out so poorly, okay? In a nutshell, the victim mentalities are excuse makers. They're excuse makers, they ask the question, why me? Why me? Why me? We'll see a lot of complaining. Victims, again, blame others for how their life is turning out or they blame circumstances for how their life is turning out. So we're going to deal with that today, even if your bad decision caused it. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm going to say a name, and I want to see if anybody knows who this is. I mean, there's a name of a woman named Stella Lebeck. Does anybody know who that is? Just lift your hand. Have you ever heard of Stella Lebeck? Okay, I didn't think so. First service didn't have anybody either. Um, who is Stella Lebeck? Okay, let me ask you a different question. Have you ever heard of the lady who sued McDonald's she spilled coffee on herself and got $3 million. Well, that's Stella, okay? We don't know the name, but we know the circumstance, okay? And won $3 million bucks for spilling hot coffee on herself. Now, you go to McDonald's to buy hot coffee, right? I'm not saying I don't feel sorry for her, but when you blame somebody for your own action, instead of putting it in a cup holder, she spilled it on herself. And again, you feel bad, but I don't know that it's worth a lawsuit. I don't know this well. We've all heard of the circumstance. What about a man named Caesar Barber? Anybody know who Caesar Barber is? 
you shouldn't. He is the man who sued McDonald's for making him fat. He sued McDonald's for making him fat. Now, I'm fat, and it's your fault. Because you sold me biggie size. Wow, that got really quiet in here. Over, there. I was like, maybe this guy goes to our church and I don't know, and you all know that he's sitting here, and I'm talking about him like, you know something I don't know? No, he, he didn't win. He sued. But I think it was at this point where the, the judges finally figured out that these frivolous lawsuits were just that. They were frivolous. And you had these juries awarding people millions of dollars for something that they themselves caused but blame somebody else. All right. So fortunately, Caesar didn't. And Caesar's excuse, his lawyer said, well, you didn't tell Caesar what the food was going to do to him. That was, the, that was the excuse. All right. So it started, again, this chain reaction of crazy lawsuits, this victim mentality, until finally the courts, again, put some common sense into it. And I'm glad they did that. Um, Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 24. We're going to read a story today. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible about Paul and his companion, uh, uh, almost said, yeah, Paul Silas. Um, they go to prison for something they didn't do. <laughs> Isn't that a common thing in prisons, right? I, I didn't do it, all right? What do we know they did? And, and they're gonna, something's gonna happen to them that they didn't even ask for, didn't even think it was coming, but it came. And now they gotta deal with it. And so, again, they have a chance to play the victim, but they don't. So here's, here's, here's the deal. It says once this, and I want you to picture something. So once when we were going, okay, who's, who's writing this here? And I want you to get into the heart of the author of this book. Because a lot of times we just read the verse without thinking what's going on behind it. Okay, there was a man named Luke. He was a follower of Jesus. He was a doctor. So doctors can be of God. He's got his own book in the Bible. All right, we, we can trust God for healing. And I've been healed, but we can also go to doctors and listen to them. Amen? All right, because God gives doctors. So here, here's Luke, and it's after the, after the fact, after the book of Acts. And he's writing some stuff down. He's thinking back all these things that he saw when he was walking with Paul and Silas through their ministry. And right previously before this, um, they met a woman. It says they went down to the river to pray. And I love this. Okay, it says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So they went down to the river, down to the... Now I know where the song comes from. We'll let Kristen do the singing in this church. Uh, they went down to the river to pray. I just thought that was humorous. It's even underlined in my Bible with no spiritual point other than it's funny. They went down to the river finding a place to pray. And they went down, they met this woman named Lydia. And Lydia was this was successful businesswoman who dealt with purple cloth. That's how she made her living and made a very good living at purple cloth. They got the purple from this little tiny sea creature that they would hire people to scour the sands of, of the ocean and find these little tiny things. And they would squeeze this little itty bitty thing, a tiny drop of purple. And you thought your job was tedious, right? Like the funny thing, they squeeze it out. And that, so that's how she made purple dye, which she sold clothing. Well, she was a believer in God, which she became a follower of Christ. You know, she believed in God, she served God, but when she heard about Jesus, she accepted him and became uh, one of the people that were saved in this little town called Philippi. So I can picture Dr. Luke sitting, you know, he's an old man, he's got this little wooden desk and probably a little candle going, he's got his ink quill, and he's, he's writing down the story of Acts, the things of Paul and Silas, and this is what I saw, this is what I experienced, and I remember him going, oh, once, man, when we were going down to this place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She's just following around. She kept this up for many days. 
Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. You ever been in the store and your kid is like, mom, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? And, you, and the whole time you're going and you're going, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Finally, you just turn on and cast the devil out of them. Like, get out of that spirit of wanting this or whatever it is. That's what's happened. This girl's following him and she's speaking the truth. He really is telling them the way or telling people the way to be saved, but she's being very obnoxious about it. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So he finally just kind of cast the devil out of her and the owners weren't too happy about this. It says, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Apparently, they should have talked to her about what her actions were going to do. Because if she was a fortune teller, she wouldn't wait. This guy's going to cast the devil out of me, and you're going to lose. So they didn't even buy what they were selling. Got to watch out for those people that buy their, don't buy what they're selling. So they get mad about it. They realize our, our way of making money is gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them out before the magistrates, and they said... These men are Jews. Why is that important? It's important. Okay, this is why I have my job. In, in this city, the little city of Philippi, the background is it's, it's under Roman rule. And they were kicking Jews out of this town. They were like, you guys don't belong here. You need to leave. So that's why they actually pointed this out. It's like, they're Jews. They don't even belong here anyway. These guys are Jews. And they're throwing this whole city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, we know that wasn't the main motive. They, they lost their way of making money. And here's what I know about politics. It's always about the money, right? It's always, they, they'll use something to get what they want. And that's what these guys are doing. They're playing a political game. Number one, they're Jews, they shouldn't be here. They're throwing the city into an uproar, which really wasn't happening. And they're advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Meaning is we wanna stay in our sin and don't tell us we can't. That, because the Jews stood for the law, the law of God. And so it went against what the Romans were saying. So they're, they're using this as an excuse to get them in trouble. And then the crowd, verse 22, joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. You know, the crowd doesn't have a good reason to riot. They don't have to have a good reason. They just have to, they just, it's like, oh, everybody's doing it, so let's do it. And we know that uh, fortunately in today's society, that doesn't happen like it did in biblical days. You know, we've, we've grown and we've changed. But the crowd joins in to attack Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, which was actually illegal to flog a Roman citizen, we find out that uh, quite a ways later in the story. For some reason, they didn't say anything. But after they had been severely flogged, my studies said that it was like a, like a whips or a, a stick, like so they beat them with sticks in the back so that they were bloodied, pretty bad, severely flogged. And they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. Again, the demon-possessed girl was right, but she was obnoxious. You ever met a Christian like that? They're right, but they're obnoxious. That, that is not a very appealing to people. So you can stand there with a sign on a sidewalk, but that does not win people to the Lord. It, 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 matter of fact, it, it pushes people away most of the time. And finally, Paul deals with it. He casts his demon out and he sets the girl free spiritually and physically. Okay, her owners get ticked off and they start a riot, again, motivated by money. 
Paul and Silas get severely flogged and thrown into a dirty dungeon. And from my research, this dungeon wasn't this nice pattern of, hell, man, there's ESPN, there's three meals a day, it's great. No, this is a dungeon dungeon. It's a third level down. Okay, you have the upper dungeon for infractions that aren't that bad. There's windows, there's air. There's a second level, which is a little more musty. And then there's the bottom. And the bottom is full of human feces. It's just full of nasty stuff, probably rats. And there's chains and there's stocks. They put their feet in the stocks. Now, what's a stock? Most of you have seen, you know, the block of wood that they put down on your leaves. You can't. Well, this particular one, from what I studied, was, was six feet wide. So they spread eagled these guys, put their legs in, and then locked their feet. That's uncomfortable. I mean, sitting spread eagle anyway, without being in stocks, is uncomfortable. I get uncomfortable sitting on a jetliner or on an overnight flight. I just can't hardly sleep. And you got a picture. These guys are spread eagle. They're in chains on, on both ends. And they're beat so bad that they can't lay backwards. Because if you lay backwards with that type of injury, not only would it hurt, but you'd get all kinds of fecal matter. I mean, it would, it's, it's just not a good situation to be in. All for doing the right thing. That's the setting here. Again, you think about the chains, the smell of human waste. This is a bad day. And you thought your flat tire was bad. All right. This is a bad day. All for simply doing what was right. Now, I could have titled this message, I didn't ask for this, or I didn't sign up. You ever have somebody say, well, I didn't sign up for this? <laughs> somebody at boot camp, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, actually you did, All right? You, you signed up for it, you just don't like what the results are. I didn't sign up for this. Well, actually we did sign up. When we follow Jesus, things are gonna happen that aren't always gonna be fun. So here they are serving Jesus and they wind up in a place they didn't wanna be in. They didn't see it coming. They're broken, they're bleeding, and bruised and held against their will. This might be a depiction of your life today in a place where you're broken and bruised, bleeding, suffering from things that maybe either you caused or somebody else caused, somebody else's decision. And in your heart today, you're sitting here on the outside, things look okay, but on the inside, you're bleeding and you're bruised and you're wondering why. Well, this message is for you. Let me read this again because I have one more part up to the end of the sentence. They were in a, there they are serving Jesus. They wind up in a place they didn't want to be in, a place they didn't see coming. They're broken, they're bleeding and bruised and held against their will. But they're not out of the will of God. That's my point of today, is you can be in a really, really hard place against your will, but not be out of the will of God. And we're going to see the end of the story is great. Now, Paul is going to make it through this. And for the rest of his ministry, he will face a lot of the similar hardships. He gets beat up pretty much wherever he goes. He gets shipwrecked three times, which for me, when you're shipwrecked, I watched Jaws. Fortunately, he didn't watch Jaws, but he probably knew of sharks. That freaked me out. He gets beat up wherever he goes. The Holy Spirit told him, wherever you go, basically there's hardships facing you. Okay, his life was not an easy life, but it was an effective life. And now they have a choice to make. They're in a dungeon against their will. And they could have easily played the victims uh, because they were. They suffered unjustly. They suffered because of someone else's decisions. But they choose to do something instead of blame God on their situation. They choose to praise. Now, could God have God prevented it? Absolutely. Okay, sure. I think he prevents a lot more bad things from happening than we think that he does. Because all of us probably tell you would ask the question, why did God allow this? And that's a fair question. And it's a question I don't always have the answer to. But here's what I do know is for God to, to make humans humans, and we have to have choices. And for us to have choices, we have to have the ability to make bad choices. And bad choices have the ability to affect us. Now, God doesn't stop every bad choice because then we would just be programmed robots. So we have to grasp that, that God has to allow people to make bad decisions. Even though I think he prevents a lot of things, he has to allow things to happen 
just to keep um, humankind the way that it is, and that is to have choice. He has to allow wrong choices. Now, let's, let's go on. It says, verse 25, about midnight, because yeah, they, they can't sleep. They're sitting up. They're uncomfortable. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains, everybody's chains came loose. Boom, gone. I can understand the miracle of an earthquake causing doors to open. I get that. But, but for an earthquake to cause chains to come off people's bodies, and not just Paul and Silas, but everybody. Now that's a miracle, that's an angel. Okay, there's a story later in the Bible about Peter, the apostle Peter who was locked in jail and, and, the, and the, the, the angel comes in and the guards are sleeping and the angel opens up the door and lets Peter out. So it's a great story. The people that were praying for Peter and Peter shows up at the door, if you know the story, he knocks on the door and the servant girl opens up. She's like, ah, it's Peter and closes the door. And he's like, and, and she goes, there's Peter outside. And they're like, no, he's not. It was like the very thing they were praying for is the very thing that happens, the very thing they didn't believe. It's a cra- I'll have to preach on it sometime. I don't know if I've ever preached on it. It's just a crazy story. But the chains fell off here. Okay? They just fell off of everybody. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And here's what happened. The jailer wakes up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. And he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, if you have no idea what the history is, you're like, why in the world would he do that? Again, Roman culture if you were a jailer and your, your jailees got out, you died. You died. Because they, they think, okay, it's going to prevent anybody from letting somebody out, okay, around, <laughs> around the horn. Like, okay, we'll let you out. Everything's cool. No, if, if a jailer or a jail, what do we call him? Jailbird? Escapee. What can we call him? Escapee, all right. If a prisoner, let's use a, let's, let's be American and call them prisoners. Can we even say that word? In church? Thank you. Okay. They were, they were in prison. If they got out, the jailer got killed for it. So that's why he was like, I'm going to save myself the humiliation. I'm just going to take care of it myself. He pulls a sword to kill himself. And, and Paul says, stop. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer calls for the lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul in silence. And he, he brought them out. And he said, how did you do that? No, that's not what happened. He goes right to the heart. He goes, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Okay, he, he had been watching. He'd been listening. He, he goes right to the heart of eternity. And they replied, well, if you go to church and you tithe a lot and your attendance is good and you dress nice, you might get a chance. Now, Paul made it simple because we complicate Christianity. He said this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Period. The belief here isn't the acknowledgement that Jesus was real, because the devil believes that Jesus was real. Actually, the devil actually believes that Jesus died for everybody's sins. The word believe here means to put your faith in. And I don't know where you're at today. And, and, and you may think, well, you know, I want to be a Christian, but boy, there's a lot of rules and regulations. No, leave that alone. It, it's so simple. You have to just say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And you accept what Jesus did on the cross. That's what he's saying. We, we complicate Christianity, don't we? We really do. And it's so simple to give our hearts to Christ. And he replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
The jailer brought them to his house and he set a meal before them. The whole family was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God. What an amazing story. Let's talk about it just for a few moments. What did they do when they got locked up? They began to pray and they began to praise. Now I'm going to read you here my thoughts on this. Something that others noticed. Something that got the other's attention. Though they were chained on the outside, these two men were obviously free on the inside. See, some people will see whether Jesus is real or not by how you navigate your hardships. And this is really the heart of the matter today is how you're navigating the things that you're going through in life, all right? Do you pray, do you praise, or do you whine and complain? And a lot of us would probably say, well, kind of a little bit of both. Well, which one is the majority of the ones? Because if we're whining and complaining, why would people want what we had? See, what, what, what was going on here is people saw beyond the change and they saw under the heart of Paul and Silas that these guys got beat and, and their backs are destroyed and they're singing praises to this God that they're serving and that's the reason why they're here. There must be some reality to this. You see, it's easy to praise Jesus when everything is going right, isn't it? How many of y'all praise God today because your car made it to church? Like you pull in a party, you say, praise the Lord. Some of you probably are like, thank you, Jesus. It wasn't going, and it did. But most of us don't thank God for, you know, no flat tires on the way to church. We don't think about it. We just expect our car to work. But we sure can question when we get a flat tire. And we could go, okay, God, why me? Well, my question is, well, why not? Why not? We'll, we'll deal with that in just a little bit. And here's what I know about faith. True faith is found in the trials of life, not the blessings. True faith is found in the trials of life, not the blessings. And the blessings typically follow the trials, just like fruit is followed by all the hard work of planting and maintaining. And they prayed and they praised, not what, knowing what was going to happen, all right? Uh, remember, you got to go back and look, and they weren't reading their own story. They weren't reading and going, oh, yeah, we got to pray and praise, and then the you know, jail is going to come up, because I, had, I don't think they had any idea. There was no angel that I know of that said, if you guys pray and you praise, then your chains are going to fall off and everything's going to be cool. Because it's easy to pray and praise when you know what the ending is like. Right. You ever watched a, a game that you know the ending and that you watched it because you pre-recorded it and you know what the ending was like? Right. You ever watch Hallmark because you know what the ending is like? Hey, baseball season's almost over, but it's almost Hallmark season. Ladies, hold on. Everything's going to be fine. All right. They, they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know the, the cause and effect here. All they did was like, we were going to pray and we're going to praise in our pain. We're just, we're just, we're just going to do it. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. They didn't know that they were actually going to be set free because it would have been easy to pray and praise if you knew what the answers were. Again, I don't think they were expecting an earthquake, but the chains fell off. So here's a question I have for us today is if Paul and Silas would have been whining and complaining, do you think the miracle would have happened? I don't think so. I think if they went down there like, oh, we're trying to serve God, everything, man, we just do what was right, and here we are, rah, 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 you know, like, like you never hear in jail or prison, right? Oh, I'm not innocent, I'm innocent. Well, they were innocent, but at the same time, they were guilty of preaching the gospel. They were, they were guilty of being good Christians, being good examples, but I don't think that chains would have came off had they whined and had they complained. So let me, let me make this real. If you have a child and they are prone to tantrums, and, and if you give in to this tantrum and whining, what are you teaching your kids? You're teaching your kids that having a tantrum and whining actually gets them what they want, which doesn't happen in America. We've done a really good job at not creating entitled children. But we have taught our kids by, and parents sometimes will, will do this just to subdue them. If they whine and complain enough, we give them what they want. You ever seen this in a store? 
It always drives me nuts when I'm in a store. It's like the kid's like, ah, I want it, I want it. And then they'll just give it to them to shut up. You're teaching them to be entitled. You're teaching them to play the victim. You're teaching them what's going to happen to them in real life when they get a real job, when they throw a tantrum to their boss. And their boss will be like, oh, I'm glad you shared the kid. Let's just make it easy for you. Because that's real life, right? No, the real world is not so nice, especially in Idaho where it's a right to work state. <laughs> you want to complain, they just can fire you. Which they won't now because they need lots of employees. But under normal circumstances. So here's what we do when we give our kids and we give in to their whining and their complaining, we are creating a victim mentality. That's what we're doing, we're creating little victims. If we just give them everything they want, then they get into junior high, high school, they'll start complaining and whining about everything. I want the new iPhone 12. Even Pastor Stan doesn't have an iPhone 12. I have a five, you can tell them that. As soon as the pastor gets the iPhone 12, I'll buy you an iPhone 5. Tell him that because I probably will never get an iPhone 12. Why? Because my iPhone 5 works just fine. Thank you very much. Right? iPhone 12, they might be able to track me a little more. <laughs> if you're all worrying about the government tracking you, if you've got an iPhone, they know where you are. And they know where you eat. Okay? And they, they know all kinds of things about you. What kind of creeps me out is sometimes when you're talking about things and then it pops up on an ad. I like guess that's, that's really strange, okay? Really strange to me. Don't give in to the tantrum. Don't give in to the whining. Here's, here's my thought on this. As parents, how do we respond to a whining versus a good attitude? Like as a parent, if there's a negative situation, we have a kid that just throws a fit and we have a kid that doesn't throw a fit and just says, that's okay, that's cool. Like, can we go to McDonald's? No, okay. What, what, what does it make you want to do for the one that's compliant? Come on, if you're anything like me, right? The whining one, you don't want to do anything for. You're like, no, I'm not doing nothing. But the one that just has a good attitude in it, like you tell them no and they can take a no. They accept a no and they're like, okay. I want to show you something here. We are created in God's image, right? There's a lot of characteristics that God has that we have. He put those in us. And I have this suspicion that when God looks down on a bunch of whining Christians that are always complaining about stuff, I don't think he's like, hey, Jesus, we should take them to ice cream. Because they're just having no, I, I think some blessings are with us. It's not like you're not my kids anymore, but you're kind of annoying me right now. And yet when God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit look down on the child, that things are not going great, but they're still, Lord, thank you for what I do have. Thanks for your amazing blessings, even though it didn't go the way that, even though I'm in this mess, even though I'm in, the, I'm in jail right now, I got chains and I, it's not great, but Lord, you're still with me. And I thank you for that. As normal human parents, when we look at the child that has a good attitude in a negative situation, our tendency is to bless that, not the one that's whining and complaining. And I think that comes from God. I think God looks down here and says, man, check out my two guys. Like, they're praying, and they're praising. They just got beat up for me. I mean, they just got a good attitude. So he sends an angel down to cause an earthquake and set the chains free. See, when your kid has a good attitude in a negative situation, it does something to you. What makes you want to bless them? I think God, again, is the same way. The praise came before the deliverance. A lot of times, guys, we praise after the deliverance. It's like, oh, chains came off, right? Hallelujah, chains came off. We sing songs about this. We sing songs about my chains were gone, right? I've been set free, that's great. But what about when we were in chains? Do we still praise when we're in the chains? Because we tend to praise when things go good, but do we praise when things go bad? And here's what I'm here to tell you. If you praise when things go bad, things are likely to get better. They just likely are. Now, much easier to preach than to live. 
Okay, and I'll be honest enough with you to tell you, way easier to preach than to live. But the praise came before the deliverance and everyone's chains came off. Here's what this tells us. Our attitudes affect other people. They really do. These other guys could have run out of the prison, but they didn't. Why not? I have a feeling that Paul might have said, hey, do you see what I just did? Don't go anywhere. <laughs> I don't think this. I think here's what happened. I think the prisoners saw something in Paul and Silas that they didn't have. And though they could have been free, they could have ran off. They wanted to stay and figure out what just happened and why were these guys praying and why were they praising? We want what they have. There was no other reason to stick around that I can think of other than to figure out, okay, what is these guys and something that I want? And here's a picture of a church. There's a bunch of ex-cons hanging out together. That's all we are, right? We're just a bunch of ex-cons. We're a bunch of ex-sinners, okay? And again, we still continue to sin, but... We give our life to Christ. We're just a bunch of ex-cons in God's sight hanging out, trying to navigate life together as a church family. That's how he sees us. You were all sinners and I set you free when you gave your life to me and now we're trying to make the best of it. So now you got the jailer who no doubt knew why Paul and Silas were there. They were there for preaching Jesus, okay? Praying and praising, this is abnormal because I've never talked to a person that works in a prison as a guard. Is, oh, the atmosphere is amazing. It's like everybody's got such a positive, wonderful attitude. No, usually if you're laughing because you know it's usually the opposite. So their attitudes and their, their praising was abnormal. And it got everybody's attention. And here he's about to kill himself because of Roman policy. And Paul is like, stop. And something caught me. But something caught me. This I never saw this before. Paul actually kept this guy from going to hell by stopping him from killing himself in his unsaved state. Like, he, he, he gets saved later, so he does not know Jesus. He does not know God. He's about to kill himself, and Paul stops this, because had he let himself stab him or himself, that guy would have went to hell for eternity. So I have a feeling that when we get to heaven, there's going to be this prison guard following Paul around, and he's going to be like, dude, this is the guy that stopped me. He's like, man, I was almost there. Paul's like, no, and then I did it, and then I heard about Jesus, and now I'm saved, and my family was saved, and... It is the way it is. Y'all got like really scared as if I'm in like this Lutheran church that's supposed to be really quiet and I just got excited about something. <laughs> You're supposed to be quiet, preacher. No, we're Pentecostal. That's what we do. Okay? I think we should be excited about Jesus. And we're not crazy costal, but we're Pentecostal, just so you know, at least I am. Can't speak for everybody else in this place. But I will tell you that in this moment, okay, because we will see this jailer and his family in heaven and we will get to talk to him. And we're going to get a lot more details, okay? Because I don't think the story will ever get old. But this guy's like, man, Paul made a difference in my life. Why? Because he praised in the prison. He prayed when, when things were going bad. He, he, was, he was praising, and I was, a, I was kind of the reason he was where he was at. I put him in the lowest of the low. And I'm about to kill myself. I'm the one that locked him up or had him locked up, and he's saving my life? That's a big deal. Paul's praise in his prison was the testimony. I want you to think about it. Let me say it again. Paul's praise in his prison was the test. It wasn't necessarily the words Paul was saying while he was there. It was his praise and his prayer. It was his attitude and his actions. That was his testimony. So a lot of you are preaching Jesus and you don't even know it. A lot of you are navigating hard stuff in life and you got this good attitude and you're like, I'm going to make it. It's hard. I'm going to make it. And people are watching you and they're listening. They're like, that person's, that person's solid in their walk with God. Their life is a little bit messed up and they're going through stuff that I go through, but man, they're navigating it way better than I am. See, the, 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 the Paul's praise was his testimony. Our reaction to hard things is often more powerful than words, how we react to things. 
And the jailer, again, was about to send himself to hell, and Paul stopped it. I love that. Paul affected eternity by not playing the victim, but the victor. Paul's reaction to persecution resulted in a conversation. And get this, okay? His reaction to persecution resulted in a conversation, and the conversation turned into a conversion. So how you navigate hard things in life, all right? You want to share, you want to share Jesus with people, you don't always have to talk. You have to live it. You navigate hard stuff and go through things. And of course, you, you need to talk about Jesus when the door is open. Uh, but what I have found is if you try to knock down a, a door that's not ready to be open, it just pushes people away. Yeah. What I pray for, Lord, is give me an opportunity. I'll share Jesus with anybody. But Lord, I want you to open up the door. I want you to open up the door. And when you pray for open doors, God typically does what? Yeah. Opens doors, okay? So here's what happened. The jailer's family was saved. The church in Philippi was born. A church was birthed out of this. We've got Lydia who gets saved, and then you have the jailer and his family because it starts this little home church, and then it just grows. Now, this is kind of crazy because Paul was planning a church and didn't even know it. <laughs> Pastor Nathaniel, he's, he's planning a church, bro. This is not the way to plan a church, bro, is to get beat up, okay? Okay, Pastor Nathaniel, they're called to plan a church, and they're going to plan a church here in Cuna. It's going to be awesome, Okay. And it's going to start out how they want to start at a home church and it's going to grow and God's going to bless it. But this isn't the way to do it. I don't suggest you go out and get beat up severely <laughs> to be a good witness, right? And we're 100% behind them doing that, okay? It's going to be a great thing. But this isn't the way. To, I wouldn't be like, yeah, you're going to plan but you're going to get severely flogged. You're going to have scars for the rest of your life, but people are going to get saved. I'd be like, yeah, I'll just stick to pastor in this one. Lord, I, I, you know, I'm not really called the church plant, Lord. And I'm not trying to prophesy. I have nothing Pastor Nathaniel, but... But it could happen, right? It, it could happen, I hope not. But that, this is a weird way to plan a church. But here's what we need to learn, okay? If you don't remember anything out of today, learn, remember this one thing, please. Not all bad things have bad endings. Not all bad things have bad endings. We might be looking through, this is a no good, but God has something down the road that you don't know about. See, it's natural for us to question how something good can come from something bad. That's our natural tendency, Okay, but not all bad things have bad endings. Four things we fight, we'll close with these things. Natural responses, okay? Here's what we do. We tend to pout over praise. Okay, this is our natural tendency. We, we, we tend to pout over praise. The answer is change your mindset. Catch yourself doing it. Catch yourself whining and go, wait, I'm whining about this again. Okay, usually when somebody else tells you, hey, you're whining, it doesn't have that much effect on us, but maturity says, I'm whining, I need to stop. Number two, why me? We ask that question, well, why me, Lord? Why me? Why me? Change it to, well, why not me? You want to get over the victim mentality? Quit asking why me, why me, and say, well, why not me? It's got to happen to somebody, right? It's got to happen to them. Why, why not me? I think that will get God's attention. Number three, we play the victim. Okay, and I use the word play the victim. Okay, catch yourself doing this. stuff. We will all play the victim for a short amount of time, but when we stay the victim... That's, that's when it gets dangerous. So you can play the victim or you can stay the victim. Don't stay the victim. Number four, my prison could be someone else's divine appointment. Okay? We don't like to look at it that way, but that's what, exactly what happened here. My prison, my change was somebody else's divine appointment because I don't know that Paul would have ever been able to reach a jailer had he not been in jail. Okay? He never had a chance to reach this guy. And look what come of it. He started a church and it grew and it was amazing. And then you have the jailer who would now have a captive audience for everybody he put into his prison, right? He would be like, I'm gonna lock you up, but let me tell you what, when it set you free on the inside, there's this man named Jesus. 
See these cracks in, right there? See, we were here to fix this gate. This is what happened. One night I was sleeping, and this guy named Paul and this guy named Silas, they were praising. I don't know why they were praising, because they, they were in bad shape. And, and they, they were talking to Jesus, this guy named Jesus. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then all of a sudden there was an earthquake, and the doors came open, and the chains came off, but nobody ran away. To think of the story that he had to tell all these people who were locked up for probably doing something wrong about the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. All because Paul had spent some time there, okay? All because Paul had spent some time there. Now, I'm not crazy enough to say that all bad things have a purpose, okay? Some bad things are just bad things. Some bad things just stink. But pain is a part of life. It's part of a fallen, sinful world. There are a lot of bad things that can happen that are not of God, that are of the devil. Again, it goes back to choice, okay? Sinful human behavior can cause bad things to take place. And I don't have all the answers for bad things, I'm not here to tell you, oh, every bad thing you face, again, is going to have this great, you know, rainbow at the end. That, that, that's not the case because that would be a lie. But I will tell you this, that some of the bad things can have good endings if you will continue to serve God with all your heart. And say, God, I, I don't understand this. I don't even like it, but I'm going to serve you through it. Because my walk with God cannot depend on the circumstances of my life. It can't. Why? Because we all have bad circumstances. My walk with God has to be based on my belief that Jesus is coming back for his church. And that we will face God in eternity. Every person, the Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know that? It's even talking about atheists. That they will kneel before God. Here's the good news is we get to kneel because our Savior. He's our Savior. We're going to stand before him. It's going to be a great thing. See, to others, this Jesus you believe in will be more real in trials, not the blessings. People need to see you make it. They do. People need to see you make it. So I'm going to, I'm going to teach you a thing. Have you ever heard of K-pop? Korean pop, okay, our younger generation, the Korean pop is like Korean pop stars. I'm going to teach you about C-pop. C-pop is choose praise over pout. What'd you learn at church today, C-pop? Is that thing you need to breathe at night? Because you can't, no, that's not a C-pap, all right? It's a C-pop, okay? Choose praise over pout. I'm not going to play the victim. Just tell yourself, I'm not going to play the victim. And again, like I told you earlier, we can also teach our kids to play the victim without even knowing it. If we're always backing our kids up instead of teachers at school or the authority, if we're always bad-mouthing authority and we're just, oh, I'm sorry, oh, you got in trouble, oh, I'm sorry, a mean teacher. Don't say that because that will teach them to be the victim. You know, when I was a kid back in the old days, when you had chalkboards, does anybody remember the chalkboard with a circle in it, front of the classroom? And they would write, the, the teacher would put, draw a circle at nose level in front of the whole class. Let me just show you what had to happen. This is how it was. The teacher would do a circle right here in front of the whole classroom and say, stand, put your nose against it. And I would have to stand like this in front of the whole class. And obviously it scarred me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and sometimes I'd even erase the circle with my nose. <laughs> that was back in the good old days when you could actually punish bad behavior. <laughs> It's probably why I'm the good citizen that I am today, okay? It was embarrassment. It was the, I'm not old enough to have the old dunce cap. Some of y'all might be that, right? The old dunce cap. There, there, was, there was punishment that I think is good. I think it's good. I think, you know, there's some things that, again, my school where I grew up, they could spank you still, yeah. all right? Because so not very many kids got spanked because they knew you could, and you could see the paddle hanging in the principal's office, Right? But today we've made it all about like the kids' rights and all this. And again, yeah, kids should have rights, don't get me wrong. But they should not be able to defy authority and get away with it. 
They should not be able to talk back to their teacher without some sort of repercussions. And parents need to quit backing their kids up Okay, when the teacher does what they need to do to try to teach your kids the thing that you should have been teaching them in the first place because they're not. Um, yeah, I preached that, but I was, I was taught really well and I still misbehaved. So that's not always a fact. But you understand what I'm saying? It, is we've taught this victim mentality, well, the kids have all the rights and the kids shouldn't get in trouble. Well, they should get in trouble. Right. I know with my mom and dad, I mean, even if, I, even if they didn't agree with what the teacher did, they always backed the teacher up. It's like, this is what Stan did. And whether they thought it was fair or not, I never heard. I never, ever heard my dad say, well, that was unfair for the teacher to do that. It was where you shouldn't have did it, right? So it taught me this authority, like it's a respect authority. It's like, I can't play the victim here because I get in trouble at school then I get whipped when I got home. <laughs> the Bible says, don't talk about the good old days, but those are the good old days, right? When there was actually authority that, you know, a teacher could do whatever they needed to do to get you to behave. Our problem is if we teach our kids that they're the victims, okay, when it comes to God's word, they're not going to want to listen to God's word. They're going to be like, that doesn't apply to me, okay? And that's not what God wants for us. So where are you at today? Anybody learn something? It's only 12, 11. And I had, I had six pages of notes. I told Miss Chris, I got six pages of notes. She goes, don't tell the church that. They'll freak out because they'll think you're going to preach forever. And, and so I'm telling you after the fact because normally I do off of four. Did I do all right today though? I talk fast, huh? So, so four, three, two things I'm going to close with. Number one, because I told you this, if today you are not right with Jesus, okay, I, want to, I want to tell you something. Look at me closely. Heaven and hell are real places, guys. You get to spend heaven and eternity in heaven or hell. You get to choose where you go. If you reject Christ, the Bible is very clear that hell is where you will spend eternity. You will pay for your own sins for eternity, and it's not a good place. Heaven is where God wants you. That's why he sent Jesus. And all you have to do is ask him to be your savior. That's all you have to do. So if you would, if you just bow your heads with me, I want to close with this. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, okay, you've just, maybe you've grown up in church or, well, I know God or I believe in God. That's not enough. We have to, we have to repent of our sins, the Bible says. We have to say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior in order to get to heaven. And I will tell you this, if you've not given your life to Christ, you're empty on the inside. There is something missing and you know there's something missing. You've tried a lot of different avenues to try to fill that emptiness up, but you can't. Nothing you try works. Why? Because God made you with a God-sized void in you. It can only be filled with him. That God loves you. God's not mad at you. God's not disappointed in you. God sent his son to die for you. And all you have to do is accept that in order to be saved. Okay, just like the jailer, he realized I need to be saved what do I need to do? Well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you to point you out in any way, but I do want you to acknowledge that it's you. And I'm going to ask if that's you, do you just lift your hand up, say, Stan, that's me. Okay. All right. See, so you can put it down. Anybody else? Any other hands to say, I, I need to get right with God today. Again, I'm not going to point you out or anything, but okay. All right. Well, here's what we do as our church family. We pray this prayer together. Okay, and, and just support of the person that lifted their hand. So if you would just repeat this prayer after me, church family. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You just got saved and on your way to heaven. Amen. It's great. Okay. The Bible, the Bible is very clear. It says that when one person repents, the, angel, the angels in heaven go nuts. Isn't that cool? It's like there's a huge celebration. So my, our goal as a church family is to make the angels sing a lot. 
the angels have to go again, yeah, again. That's kind of the goal here. Second thing is, is, is again, just bow your heads just for a moment. If you're going through some stuff, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, just lift your hand up. You can lift it up and down. Okay, you can put it down. Father, I just ask the Lord in Jesus' name, the hands that were raised today, they're going through some things. They may not understand it. They obviously don't like it, but I pray that, that today's message, you would have given them hope and that hope is in reach, that, that you are doing something behind the scenes. You're doing something that we can't see. Give them the strength and the tenacity to keep going, to navigate the waters that they're facing. Is give them what they need and bring them out on the other side, Lord, and have something good waiting for them. And we love you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, again, I want to invite you back to Wednesdays. We have a full Bible study. Uh, we are, we're talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah this coming Wednesday. We're going through the book of Genesis verse by verse. So if that's interesting to you, um, it's going to be kind of an intense Bible study, but a, a, a Bible study of truth. This is why God does the way that he, he does things, okay? So it's going to be great. Um, if you're, again, if you give your heart to Christ, you need a Bible. Uh, we also have a new believer's handbook um, that, that Mary will get you in the back. So if you're brand new, go get your coffee cup as well. Love you and have a wonderful day. And I don't always preach this short, just so you know, if you're visiting. <laughs>